Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us once again for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation. Glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, great to be back with you coming off of the holiday weekend here in the U.S. Hope you had a nice weekend and looking forward to catching up with you this morning. Welcome back. Good to be back with a nice... uh Kind of felt like a long break to relax, recover a little bit as we head into the final stretch of the year. Absolutely. Definitely good to have logged in some downtime. And to your point, Jason, thinking back to last week, it was quiet. Holiday shortened due to the Thanksgiving holiday. And we are entering at this point the home stretch of 2022. It's hard to believe we're at this point, but here we are. As we make our way quickly towards the end of the year, Jason, can you set the stage for our listeners, our clients? What should investors be watching out for and expect over the next month? Well, just for context, well, last week was a you know shortened week because of the holiday. If you look across financial markets, it was sort of a consistent story from what we've seen over the past six weeks. By that I mean, you know, we saw equities ultimately finish higher. You know, the S and P was up over one percent for the week, but also defensive sectors and, and value sectors kind of led the way. At the same time, uh, interest rates you know declined. The U.S. dollar weakened against other currencies. Commodities fell, and also volatility fell. Uh, and that's really been the story for the past six weeks. So we don't want to put too much stock in a, in a week where volume activity was very light, but it was still consistent with that that trend going forward. So the question is whether that will continue or not, and that's going to depend a lot on some of the data points and policy events of the next roughly two and a half weeks. You know, they would either either reinforce this momentum or it's going to bring it to a halt. Uh, so some on the economic front, some of the key data points uh, that we're watching begin this week with on the labor market. Uh, on Friday, we get the November jobs report. Uh, it likely will see further signs of um, you know, job growth slowing. Still positive job growth, but moderation. Consensus expectations right now is 200,000 for November. This would be a step down from October, which is 261,000. And it really kind of continues the trend that uh, if you look at the July number at over 500,000, it's been a continuous decline since then. Before we get that on Friday, on Wednesday, we get the JOLTS job openings. This has become a key gauge because we want to see job openings or the Fed wants to see job openings decline uh, to see the labor market pressure easing. It's a prize to the upside for September when we got in, in early November. Um, the expectation is it's going to come down again. It's a volatile data series and sort of more high frequently data points would suggest it is slowing. So we could see a, a, a sizable decline of at least three or 400,000 in terms of job openings. Although to suggest the labor market is slowing, that's, that's important. Uh, then the other kind of key data point that we're going to get is not until later in the month on the 13th of December, we'll get November CPI data. We saw a step down last month that, you know, a lot of the data within the details of it was better than expected. Uh, we're likely to get a further decline in, uh, you know, the headline numbers. The key would be that, you know, does the core CPI come down or not? Uh, expectations are at will. Um, all this sort of matters from the market's perspective because they've been trading on sort of a bad news as good news regime, meaning worse economic data would suggest the Fed can dial back its hiking expectations. So moderation in inflation data, but also moderation in labor market, that's all good news. Uh, so that segues to the other big sort of story for the next two and a half weeks, which is the Fed. Um, you know, on the 14th, the Fed will meet and announce what's likely to be another rate hike. But we get a preview of that, what's going to happen in two weeks on Wednesday when Fed Chair Jay Powell gives a speech at the Brookings Institute. Uh, he could give a very hawkish speech. He could try to do what he did at Jackson Hole at the end of August, 
which is pushed back against the the market expectations that the Fed could dial back its rate hikes very quickly. It could push back against sort of the, the easing of financial conditions that have taken place over the past six weeks because equity prices have rallied and, and bond yields have come down. The impact is unlikely to be as large just because the market's now embraced for that possibility. And we've also had you know data that's kind of moved in the right direction. But that really, aside from the economic data, that's the key thing that investors are going to watch this week is, is uh, Powell's speech uh, on Wednesday. So the next few weeks ahead promise to be quite busy. And as you pointed out, Jason, a lot of policy or macro considerations that can be market moving. Maybe we can stick with the Fed for a few more moments. As our listeners, our clients know, the Fed has been very market moving in 2022. What does CIO and the market expect from the Fed in December? Well, we got a bit of preview last week for what we can get this week from Powell and other Fed officials. Uh, there was, you know, some Fed governors out last week giving interviews and speeches. Uh, we also got the FOMC minutes from the early November you know, Fed meeting. Um, all of it was consistent. We got last week with, you know, the Fed sort of you know, slowing down their pace of rate hikes starting in December. Uh, in fact, the, there was a specific quote in the in the minutes that said a substantial majority of FOMC participants agreed that a slower pace of hiking would likely soon be appropriate. So that sort of reinforces the expectation that's widely held by the market that we will get a 50 basis point hike you know, in December when the Fed meets. I think the market's pricing something like a 97% of probability of that happening, which is you know very high conviction. Uh, you know, unless Powell says otherwise on Wednesday, and he's not going to say exactly what he'll do, but a good chance that that's, that's what will happen. So really what the focus for for Powell this week and for the FOMC in two weeks is not whether it's going to be a 50 basis point hike, but what is the terminal rate? How far will the Fed ultimately raise rates? And what sort of guidance can they give in terms of the path to get there? And then once they reach this high terminal rate, uh, what do they do from there? Like, is, is it a sort of higher for a longer period where they keep rates elevated for a longer period of time? What are the signposts that they would be looking for to bring, you know, you know start to start potentially cutting, cutting rates at some point in time? So anything along those lines of the path higher from here and then the path down from that peak. That's what the market is really going to be focused on in the next couple of weeks. What we expect is a 50 basis point hike in December, another 25 basis point hike on Feb 1 when they meet, likely another 25 basis points in March. So a total of 100 basis points more from here. Current market pricing is more like around four and a half hikes. Uh, and when Brenda Terminal Fed funds rates around 5.1%. But the Fed is now actually very data dependent. Uh, you know, between now and when they would meet in March to potentially decide another rate hike, They'll have four more months of data for job growth and inflation. That includes the, the November data we're going to start getting this week. That's a fair amount of data to kind of reaffirm or kind of you know say we now have the compelling evidence that inflation is clearly coming down and the labor market is cooling, uh, which would be enough for them to maybe even pause after the February 1 hike uh, to not do a March hike. But it could also, the data could be showing that like, they haven't done enough and they have to do you know a couple of more 25 basis point hikes thereafter. So as much as guidance as, the, as Powell can give and the Fed can give later this month, the reality is that because they're so data dependent at this point in time, I think there will still be kind of uncertainty until we further get into the new year and it becomes clearer 
what direction the, the economy is taking. Jason, thank you for setting the stage for the Fed and helping us to manage expectations as to what the near-term policy path might look like. I do want to take a step outside of the U.S. for a few moments. As we indicated, it was quiet here in the U.S. last week due to the Thanksgiving holiday, though there were some notable developments in China, uh, this with renewed lockdowns stemming from rising COVID-19 cases. For what you can gather, Jason, what is the economic impact of these latest developments? And what is CIO thinking how the latest round of lockdowns in China will ultimately play out? Well, the expectation that we had was the timeline for a kind of full easing or dropping of the zero COVID restrictions wouldn't happen until the third quarter of next year. Uh, and that, at this point in time, that timeline hasn't changed because the criteria that the Chinese government was looking for to, to achieve that, they're, they're not in place. You know, for example, they would need to have, you know, build more temporary hospitals and hospital beds. They would want a higher vaccination rate. Uh, different metrics they'd be looking for, which won't be achieved in a matter of a couple of weeks, but it's going to take at least a few months to get there at, at a minimum. So while what's happened over the past week certainly creates uncertainty, a little bit of chaos, and, and all else equals probably biases the Chinese government to move you know, more aggressively in that timeline. I think the fundamental story hasn't particularly changed in terms of what they feel like they're comfortable with doing. Now, that, what that does mean, though, is, is uncertainty, at least in the very near term, at least from a market perspective, of could they change their policy? Uh, it was only two weeks ago that they implemented or at least announced a new you know, 20-point plan for how to deal with you know, kind of COVID zero, providing more guidance to kind of local governments in terms of how to implement and how, you know, how to implement COVID zero policies. The issue there is now with the cases rising and the number of cases in China is, is the highest it's been, you know, this year, exceeding what happened back in the spring when there were significant lockdowns. Now it's up to the different like local governments and, and you know, state governments to implement these rules. There's different ways in which they can choose to interpret this, different ways in which they would sort of try to impose, you know, lockdowns and restrictions. And that's going to lead to at least inconsistencies to some extent and maybe some uncertainty. Uh, but it's also clear that they're trying to be more surgical in their approach to locking down compared to what they did in the spring. Uh, it's not in the Chinese government's current sort of interest or certainly not their policy objective right now to have growth hampered too much after slowing significantly earlier this year. Less noticed, given all the what's kind of the news that's come out of China, was that on Friday, the PBOC, the Chinese Central Bank, cut their reserve requirement ratios, kind of like their policy rate, by 25 basis points sort of across the board. Uh, this is designed to sort of, you know, support economic activity. They also, about two weeks ago, announced some policy measures to support the property sector. That's been a real drag on the economy. And the, the interest rate cuts on Friday are consistent with that. So if their intention by those actions is to support the economy, one would think that they're also not going to then to try and impose draconian lockdown restrictions that would kind of entirely offset those, those measures. So they're now kind of walking a, a tricky balance of you know, dealing with rising COVID cases, especially as we go into the winter. Uh, you know, they're trying to sort of slowly exit or reduce the burden of COVID zero, you know, but they could, by, by doing so, could, you know, end up having higher number of COVID cases than any point in time in this, during this entire pandemic. Uh, so there's a lot of, I think, uncertainty, I think, for the economic environment, the economic outlook, that means more headwinds, at least in the very near term, because it would imply more lockdowns and more strict activity. What it does mean, though, is perhaps when these restrictions do eventually ease, there could be more policy response later on down the line. So, you know, kind of further reaccelerate growth next year, albeit starting from a lower base. So if you add it all up, more economic headwinds near term, certainly more uncertainty for the markets because we just don't know how this will play out. But in terms of the policy response to COVID and the COVID zero you know, measures, 
it's unlikely those are going to change significantly based on the developments over the past week. Well, Jason, as you pointed out, it's quite the balancing act indeed, and do appreciate the clarity around what is taking place in China, and we'll be sure to keep our listeners and our clients informed on how this develops from here. But bringing this all together and turning to the markets, and we've spoken recently about the upward momentum and investor sentiment that we've seen over the past few weeks, with all of these considerations, factors at play that you walked us through, through this morning, Jason, what should investors expect as we close out 2022 and head into the new year? Well, at least over the next roughly six weeks until year end, the risk reward bias is probably skewed slightly to the upside. Uh, as markets continue to kind of grind higher, this is very much conditional on the economic data and what the Fed does. But I think as long as the Fed and the data is in line with expectations, that's sort of a, you know, an all clear signal to some extent for, for investors to participate. Uh, because the data would can show slowing of, of inflation, moderation of the labor market kind of overheating. As long as they get that, I think you know, investors will become more comfortable with, you know, the possibility of a very mild recession, you know, is being your kind of your base case. There's also a fear that if the data comes in that way for investors who've been sort of under allocated or underinvested, that they're going to be some missing out in performance. So there is a certain amount of FOMO that's been taking place in the markets, and that could continue through year end. But if we look into the you know Q1 of next year, the first half of next year, the risk reward at sort of current market levels feels like it's you know, skewed to the downside. Uh, just think about the environment we're in. Growth is slowing. We're seeing that in the U.S. We're seeing that globally, and that's likely to continue. Interest rates are going higher with the Fed and other central banks still raising rates. That combination of Fed tightening, higher rates, and growth slowing, that's just generally not a good environment for risk assets. And at the moment, it, certainly after the rally we saw just through the end of last week, uh, Risk assets, equities don't feel like they're necessarily priced for the slowdown in growth, the slowdown in earnings that's likely to materialize. Uh, and then again, that sort of you know, uh, kind of feeds into this kind of negative skew for downside skew for risk assets. There is also some maybe complacency in the markets, perhaps a little bit also investors' exhaustion after a really you know, challenging year. What we saw last week was the VIX volatility index drop to just above 20. This is the lowest level it's been at since early August, uh, when the markets were rallying at the 17% rally this summer. Again, this maybe feeds into some views of, of you know, not a complacency, but also not willing to, we're not really fearing the need to put on sort of protection. So given that environment, you know, we think the right way to be invested, at least for the next six months, is to stay relatively defensively allocated with an equity, you know, favoring more defensive sectors. And then fixed income going up in quality, you don't need to get a lot of, or take a lot of risk in your portfolio to get income. Uh, and we also don't think that, you know, the growth risk is fully reflected into the equities or risky credit at this point in time. So the, you know, enjoy the, you know, the rally for, for the time being. Um, and you, because there was a decent possibility the data could kind of turn out favorable for multiple months, you want to be sort of somewhat invested, but with an investment allocation, again, be more defensive and up in quality position at this point in time to get through looks like it'll be still a challenging winter ahead. It will be interesting to see how the next few weeks take shape and if the recent momentum can persist. And Jason, I know we'll be connecting a couple of times ahead of the closeout of 2022. So looking forward to following up on the policy and macro topics we talked about this morning. Uh, Though great way to set the stage for the home stretch of 2022. Jason, thank you for dropping by top of the morning for the CIO Strategy Snapshot. Wish you a great week ahead and looking forward to picking back up with our conversation again soon. You're welcome, Dan, and have a great week. 
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.